0: Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.
1: Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, editor-at-large of Recode. You may know me as someone who wants to be fluent in every language but only swear words, but in my spare time, I'm a technology journalist and you're listening to Recode Decode, a podcast about tech, politics, and media. We're part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. Today in the red chair is Matt Hewlett, the president of education company Rosetta Stone. After he got there in 2017, the company stopped selling CDs for learning a new language and now focuses on reaching students on their phones. One of his previous jobs was as president of the corporate travel division of Expedia under Barry Diller, who has been on this podcast many times before. So has Derek Khosrowshahi, so we know lots yeah, of people in common. Welcome. To recode, decode, Matt.
2: Very excited to be here. Thank you. So,
1: I want to hear about your background because I, I, I have a feeling it's rather interesting how you got to doing Rosetta Stone. Is obviously a very storied brand for language, essentially, and initially was tapes, 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 and then it was CDs. Um, maybe it wasn't tapes, but I recall CDs. Tapes, CDs, yeah. yeah. Uh, before that, I used tapes when I was learning German and stuff like that. And then, because I'm super old, um, and now it's sort of been online, web-focused, and then online. Yeah. App focused. Yeah. So talk a little bit about your journey of getting here. Because I find this area so interesting. I've been sort of touching on a lot of topics like ag tech or education tech mm-hmm. and th- that have been so profoundly affected by digital. Mm-hmm. And obviously language is one of them and has been it's an ongoing thing at all the search services to try to have translations that are perfect. And so there's a lot of really interesting futuristic stuff there. But let's talk about your journey, how you got yeah. here.
2: Yeah. Um I've always been in Washington State. Mm-hmm. I've always done technology. I've been professionally promiscuous in terms of what i focused <laughs> on. I
1: like you already. I've, I've
2: jumped around uh-huh. between lo- every software vertical imaginable, travel, games, mm-hmm. marketplaces, business models like SaaS and mm-hmm. microtransactions and stuff like that, freemium. I actually started out at a small software tech company in Seattle, got fascinated with the internet. Which one was that? Uh, it was called WRQ. You've never heard of mm-hmm. it. it. sounds like a law I've firm. I've heard of a
1: lot of those Seattle ones. I was yes. up there a lot with Microsoft and Amazon in the beginning days.
2: And then I... Um, Got fascinated with the internet when I downloaded the NCSA Mosaic browser. Mm-hmm. Sure, uh, I think I compiled it on a Sun OS box. Yeah. I got into Unix and X Windows at the time. Mm-hmm. Thought, wow, this is going to change the world because I was using Telnet and VI, mm-hmm. and I was somewhat techie. You know, mildly yeah. techie, mildly geeky. And then I wanted to get involved with it, so I looked around for innovative Seattle companies that were doing things on the internet, and I found one called Progressive Networks. Mm-hmm. Sent a letter actually to the CEO, Rob Glazer. Yep. Real numbers. Yep. Became. And he had I just was, left Microsoft. He had just left Microsoft. I was employee 50. I was uh-huh. one of the first product managers there. I was the product manager for oh, the real player. I'm so player. sorry. No I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> it was a blast.
1: Rob's a I, he's, a, he's a character.
2: He's a character. So the lead
1: of a, st- a profile I wrote from, from the Wall Street Journal way back when, when he started Progressive, was he has a face like a fist. Mm. Yeah. I thought it worked well. One of the He pro- liked it, of course.
2: Yeah, he, he's one of the brightest he folks, is. technically and business-wise, I've ever mm-hmm. worked with. Um,
1: Explain before. Progressive. Progressive became mm-hmm. Real Networks, but it was the first player, essentially. Yeah, it,
2: it really was. You know, at the time, you couldn't really do anything over the Internet because it was all dial-up, 28-8. Right. And then mm-hmm. the big innovation was 56K with the U.S. Robotics Modem. Mm-hmm. This is Dating Myself, which is, mm-hmm. I think, illegal in Washington State. <laughs> um, and... The only way you could actually enjoy anything was streaming at the time. So real Mm -hmm. networks, then progressive networks, um, invented audio streaming and progressively, pun intended, got better and better at it, higher quality, started right. with broadcasting uh, voice, then we got into music, and then as bandwidth started opening up, we, we got into video and other right. formats. Right. I
1: remember he chose Jewel because she didn't move, uh, one of the first or something like that, one of the first uh, video broadcasts because she it's, didn't it's it's for, very I, little.
2: Yeah, back in the day. There's no
1: activity with Jewel. Y,
2: you, you had, th- that's true. Um, also, we had a challenge with when we had Spike Lee come in and mm-hmm. do a I remember, boy, I haven't thought about this in years. See? A live...
1: I am your memory chest. You
2: are. Savion Glover, mm-hmm. he's a dancer, yeah. um, tap dancer, quite talented. Yeah. And we had a hell of a time streaming him because he was so fast. So we we really had to go in and instruct Spike Lee on how to direct someone. Right, right. Which was uh, somewhat awkward.
1: Yeah, I bet. I bet.
2: And so that was early in my career, saw the real player download like 300 times a day, and then eventually, by the time I left, mm-hmm. post-IPO, it was about 300,000 times a day. Right. Right.
1: And it was really interesting. Seattle this time, there was Real Networks, which was mm-hmm. a big company. It was down by the water. We had Microsoft, which was sort of still pretending the internet didn't exist for many, many years. Right. Um, even though they started MSN badly, and yep. most of their internet efforts were bad, essentially. Mm-hmm. And then Amazon had its beginnings there, and I remember visiting him when he had five or six people. Yeah. You know, so, but there weren't there, and then there were a lot of gaming companies,
2: essentially. That's right. Yeah. That's a you know, Big Fish Games. And yeah. Other, I worked for one of those as well. well and so, I, I, I left, actually, Real Networks uh, with a pair of mine who started a company called Atom Films, mm-hmm. which was the idea of— Another sh- big, early idea. Right. Uh, Pre-YouTube. Again, dating mm-hmm. myself. Um, a gentleman named Mika Salmi and I worked together at Real Networks. Right. He was the coolest guy I'll ever be. You mm-hmm. know, six foot oh, cool. four, flowing blonde hair. Cool? I haven't seen him in a while, but he's always <laughs> cool. Always if he's dramatic. listening to this, he's going to roll his eyes. That's true. And I joined him because we believe that— Um, short-form content was going to be big on the internet. We started licensing content. Um, We eventually raised a bunch of money, and we merged with Mm -hmm. then Shockwave, and the geniuses that we were at the time combined Mm -hmm. the companies and called it Atom Shockwave. Right. And I think we were the last significant round raised in San Francisco at the time in the Bay Area. Uh, Sequoia Capital, Mike Moritz led it. It was like around $20 million. Mm -hmm. And that was right as he sent that Ominous slide deck out.
1: Yeah, it's over. The deck, it's the over. RIP. The, the
2: tombstone. Yeah, all right. Yeah, but it was
1: interesting because a lot of these ideas were super early and super correct. Just wasn't the right company. time. Time. Yeah, absolutely. I- there weren't mobile phones. There weren't mobile phones changing everything, right. obviously. But a lot of this stuff was, you know, bandwidth and. Bandwidth, which I don't, you don't even say that word anymore, but mm-hmm. ability to access uh, the internet and the device was critically important.
2: Absolutely, and, and we were trying everything. We licensed content to HBO, to you know, airplanes, anything with a screen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But eventually, that, I, I left, went back to Seattle. Eventually, that, that company was bought by Viacom. Mm-hmm. One of the board members of Adam Films at the time was Rich Barton. He hired me at Expedia. Rich, at that time, CEO of Expedia, now CEO of Zillow. Right. And everything else, Glassdoor, Avvo. hmm Anything with a directory. Um, Rich hired me to Expedia, and I I started their corporate travel group. And then since then, I've been doing both startups and turnarounds.
1: Right. And so you worked at Expedia was bought by Microsoft, right? I'm for, who bought spun it? Spun out of Microsoft. Bought, spun out of Microsoft, then bought by IAC.
2: Uh yeah, a standalone company for a while, right, then the privacy, IAC yeah. a little bit, then all of it, and right. then not as much. And, and then and, but it's
1: been affiliated with IAC. Absolutely. Since then. Um, and again, it was it, that was one of the successful things pulled out of my. There were several like mm-hmm. that within Microsoft that, that spilled out. And so how did you get to Rosetta Stone? Like yeah. you've got sort of like you're you're a typical journeyer of the yeah, internet companies.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um friend of mine who's a recruiter called me. Uh, what actually got me most interested in the company was my personal story around literacy. I'm dyslexic. Mm-hmm. I have three kids. My youngest uh, child is dyslexic. And most people don't know this when they hear Rosetta Stone is, growing part of our revenue is literacy software. Mm-hmm. And that really spoke to me. And so that's really get, what got me excited.
1: All right, so get, paint a picture today of the company. The company started, how many years? It was... A long time.
2: Yeah. 27 years yeah, it's ago. a long time. Yeah. Right?
1: And it started with essentially... The way you used to learn languages was you went to class, essentially, mm-hmm. or, a, or a night class if you're an adult or anything else. And then you would learn. But, and you would use flashcards and everything else, but you would not. And then they moved into CDs and tapes and then CDs where you listened
2: to people speaking, essentially. Yeah. The, the, the company history is fascinating. Um, the founder was unsuccessful at learning a language, mm-hmm. had, had learned German. By being immersed, immersed.
1: Yes, um, be nine, Oak.
2: had a hell of a time with Russian, mm-hmm. decided that 27 years ago, okay. actually been a public company for 11 years, mm-hmm. and the company was started by a gentleman who actually had difficulty learning a language, but had l- previously learned German mm-hmm. uh, because he was immersed in it, so he tried to replicate that experience in software. So he
1: lived in Germany. He lived in Germany. Yeah, I, I tried to speak German, too, and I'm terrible languages. But go ahead.
2: Yeah. And so, well, it worked for him in terms of immersion, and so he decided to build software around it. And so, CDs came out, we became known for the iconic yellow box, mm-hmm. the CDs, airplane you know, kiosks. Right. And built a huge brand around language learning.
1: Right. And so, this was going along. CDs, obviously, everyone had a first CDs at home, and then in their computers, and then in Walkmen and things like that. But that changed really drastically. Like, you're, People didn't learn this way anymore.
2: Yeah, and I think like most companies, the arc of Rosetta Stone has changed significantly over the last five years. We bought several companies years ago. One of them was Lexia, which is a really interesting company that focused on literacy in K 12 schools. Mm-hmm. And also the arc of the consumer business with Rosetta Stone took a different turn. They were later to innovate in terms of digital technologies than I think uh, they would have liked. They focused on the Lexia software and... Our last CD was sold in December of 2017, right as I was getting into the company.
1: Right. And so, why was that? Because there were so many, like, you can think of a million companies mm-hmm. like this, and there's others that catch up really quickly, mm-hmm. um, Facebook, others. There's lots of people that shift and turn. But this is something that, you know, the the, the era of the CD was a very brief one. Mm-hmm. So it was a relatively brief one yeah. in, in in terms of media.
2: Mm-hmm. so
1: what what was
2: the why? Problem? yeah, it's always hard to think through you know, because I wasn't there the playbook as to what got them there, but I do think it's very difficult to cannibalize yourself as a company. You think about like which company has been successful turning themselves around from business models, like Adobe comes to mind mm-hmm. moving to a subscription model, Apple obviously did a major turnaround not but not many brands have been able to do that, and I think Rosetta Stone is one of those brands that uh one is well known it's a well liked mm-hmm. um it almost has a nostalgia to it. My biggest mm-hmm. competition is actually the fact that everyone knows who I am. They right. just don't know I have an app.
1: Right, right, right. And
2: I think that a lot of companies get stuck in this rut of lack of innovation because it's very hard to move from a $1,000 CD to a product that's nine ninety nine dollars 99 a month. Mm-hmm. And I think those are hard decisions to make, and most companies don't survive that. So we went through that. I was hired to bring on a team and a product and really make this product really mobile native, mm-hmm. um, which we've started to do.
1: So started to do. The mobile's been around since what? Yeah. 2000. Oh, well, quite a while. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ten years, yeah. I'd say.
2: And so, you know, we're we're obviously playing a little bit of catch-up. And mm-hmm. the space is about a $50 billion language learning space. Mm-hmm. About 6% of that's digital. There's a lot of competition in the space. Sure. But we're, we're starting to make some strides there.
1: So when you're thinking about when you come into a company, you've been working at all these various companies, some of which, you know, Real Network got caught up in that, too. Like everything, you know, things became in the phone. You can think of a dozen companies like that where that happened. Why did you decide to come here to to the company what was your thinking on where it could go
2: yeah uh, I usually am handed issues and problems that I almost feel like MacGyver at times you know like (laughs) a lot of times let's reference that for the (laughs) young yes MacGyver uh,
1: could do anything with a rubber band
2: that's right and not dirty bailing wire and Elmer's glue right um but in in all seriousness, I've been in situations before where companies company's about ready to run out of money, investors aren't happy, mm-hmm. y- you know, those are stressful situations. I haven't been in a situation where there's a world-class brand and customers want the product. They like the current digital product. Mm-hmm. It just needs some restructuring and some innovation. Mm-hmm. That's a different type of problem. Right.
1: How much of your business is still CDs and things Zero. like that? Zero. You Zero. You don't sell any. The last one was 2017.
2: Yeah. And, and basically how our revenue works is and a, no
1: retail element. Like you had those We have a little kiosks. bit on Amazon. And, right.
2: But, you know, we sell through Amazon. But mm-hmm. no, no CDs at all. About half our business is um, selling to U.S. k 12 schools. Mm-hmm. The which other,
1: is dyslexia, which is literacy.
2: Which is literacy. And the other half is consumer and enterprise. Mm-hmm. And so those components um, are what I'm restructuring right now. The Lexia business is growing pretty nicely, 20% year over year.
1: All right. What is that? That's to, to allow kids to... S- English as a foreign language, or what, what's the...
2: No, it's... Well, you know, w- again, one of my passions is, is literacy. Mm-hmm. Two-thirds of kids... Are reading below grade level by the time they get right. to grade three, and it's this is nothing new, and that trend right. continues through eighth grade. Unfortunately, it's been like that for thirty years. I'm sure you've had you've talked. Yes. This has been and around for a lot
1: of startups by people trying. There mm-hmm. were a whole bunch, a lot of ex AOL people tried a whole bunch of literacy efforts. There's yeah. been a lot. There's been a lot, N- much of it charitable. I would say that, not as businesses.
2: That, that's right, and I think the
1: Jim Barksdale was another.
2: Person. Yep, you know the Barksdale Institute, and mm-hmm. there's a, there's been a lot of tech investment in it. This product's interesting because we probably have quantitatively more PhDs that know the science of reading than most companies have in terms of software developers, mm-hmm. and there's like seventeen evidence-based academic research papers that show that this software works. It's software that's worked in conjunction with a teacher in the classroom. It's not a self-serve product. Mm -hmm. It's not... What you typically have read about, like the flip model where the student does all the work and the efficacy is a little bit lacking, Mm -hmm. this is a product that's used within the environment of the classroom. The teacher gets personalized. So you're
1: using digital means to help people with literacy.
2: Yeah, about a third of the time of the kids allocated time in the class is using the product. That gets data, keystrokes, results back to the teacher. They can personalize what the issues are with the student and provide very personalized training plans for the student. There are six elements to the science of reading. We need to be teaching that across the board in the United States. Mm -hmm. I learned about those six elements. I have one called phonemic awareness. I'm Mm -hmm. dyslexic. The others are phonics, structural analysis, comprehension, vocabulary, and uh, automaticity, which is sometimes lacking for me, called fluency. Mm -hmm. And that's built into the product, and it's used in conjunction with schools. We're in about 10% of schools.
1: Okay. We're here with Matt Hewlett. He's the president of Rosetta Stone, which is well-known as a language company. When we go back, we're going to talk about the landscape
0: and where— Talk to your local State Farm agent today about small business insurance. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. We're
1: here with Matt Hewlett. He's the president of Rosetta Stone, which is, you know, pretty well known for having sold CDs and teaching people to do languages. And now he's been focusing it on their phones. The landscape is pretty competitive. There's like lots of little apps. I was just looking at them all last night. There's zillions of Mm -hmm. them. Um, Duolingo is probably the biggest online one. I don't know if that's your biggest competitor, but to map the landscape of where language learning is going.
2: Yeah. It's, we mentioned before, $50 billion worldwide. Mm-hmm. 80% of that's schools and offline tutoring, like we talked about before. It's schools and tutoring is still a big part of that. Digital is smaller. It's single digits, but growing quickly. Not unlike a dynamic you've seen in other markets. In the United States, we're still number one, you know, in terms of overall dollars. All my competitors are private, so I have no idea what their real Mm -hmm. um, revenue is. I would say in terms of share, you could definitely, you know, look at Duolingo and say they've done a fantastic job. They've built a very engaging product, um, very addictive product. Mm -hmm. Uh, We like to think of ourselves as a product that actually gets efficacy and results. We built speech recognition of the technology to get people producing the, the actual language so you, more, you become more proficient and sound like a native speaker. But that landscape has changed significantly over time. It's interesting that as players like Duolingo have entered the market, we've actually seen our brand awareness go up. Mm-hmm. And one of the things about language learning that I'm excited about is it's still growing at pretty strong clips. There's people like Duolingo. There's Babbel. Those are some of the larger players in ourselves. Um, there's a ton of other people in this space. And I find this market, as being relatively new to it, relatively disloyal. Mm-hmm. So we find that like 56% of our customers have already used another product. Mm-hmm. So we think there's some opportunity there to go deeper in the stack to get Mm -hmm. different types of experiences for customers.
1: All right, let's talk a little bit about the science of what's going on now because one of the, you know, I was playing around with your app. It's very different than before. Before, it's essentially a lot of book learning and listening, Mm -hmm. essentially. What's changed in language uh, from your perspective? Like, obviously, delivery method over mobile is one.
2: Yeah, I think um, language learning, if you break down, and I'm not an academic in language learning, and they roll their eyes with people on my team when they they hear me speak about it. Mm-hmm. But it's really about usage, um, frequency, and time. And we have a very specific pedagogy called immersion. So you're we're not teaching you anything procedurally. You're we don't conjugate things for you. You're just learning as you're seeing objects and video and and pictures. What's changed over time is that thanks to the three billion worldwide market of smartphones, everyone's ready to have digestible content. Mm-hmm. And you can chunk out the lessons to make them more approachable versus feeling like you're behind your desktop and you're going to allocate, you know, a couple hours a day, which no right. one wants to do. And that's what fundamentally changes the bite-size aspect of the learning. Also, you can take advantage of cool things that make it much more personalized. You know, we, we grab through ARKit in the Apple iPhone environment different images that you can collect, like Pokemon Go for learning, so you can actually personalize objects around you and incorporate that in a conversation. Mm-hmm. Those are things and experiences you haven't been able to do in the past
1: right so when, when you think about the but, but in terms of how people learn, um obviously people are twitchier than ever they're they're doing something. so you're talking about when you talk about digestible, it's not really the way language has been taught in the past it's it's been in, been in a very you know long term classroom oriented where effort is required
2: rather than instant learning that's right. I think about things as u s versus everyone else mm-hmm. u s it's like saying you're in a rock band in Seattle, everyone says they're in a rock band. They're not really in a rock band. Right. Meaning world languages is kind of a nice to have, not a must have. Mm-hmm. So w- when you're going to, let's say Mexico, everyone wants to learn Spanish, everyone decides to spend the prerequisite and amount of time two weeks. Mm-hmm. It takes a little bit longer than t- two weeks to learn a language. Outside the United States, the hunger element is way high. So there's about a billion and a half people around the world that are, want- that are learning English right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is no issue around hunger because they know they have to get to the next tranche of educational, uh, academic achievement, and or the next job. And so, the hunger is already there, and the appetite to learn is very high. So, the two different learners types in the United States are casual learners that really don't need to learn a language, they want to do it for experiential reasons and outside the United States where they have to do it for other reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, the digestible component makes it much more, in terms of a form factor, approachable and more economic. And for example, Asia, there's a trade-off between, especially for parents and their kids, learning a language and food. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're more willing to spend education uh, money on education than food. And so I would say that it varies by where you're wanting to learn a language. The fact that you have technology and basically enables Anyone with a smartphone to have access to teachers everywhere. Um, In fact, there's a big language learning trend to um, educate folks using American teachers to learn English. Mm -hmm. So it's opening up a whole new world, and I think that the digestible component and the communications aspect of it is completely. Let's talk
1: about the technology elements of it right now. Um, Obviously, again, it was rote learning. I think I don't know. I'm not a a teacher, but it was essentially repetitive. Mm -hmm. What's changed in terms of, of how language is taught? And and people's brains are starting to rewire themselves, I think, in the digital age. We'll see that in 20 years' time, but we won't know that until...
2: It's becoming more personalized, mm-hmm. um, and it's also becoming personalized because of machine learning and NLP. Speech recognition is also changing, so we have our own speech recognition technology, and so getting all these inputs from real live input from what you're doing is actually catering very personalized experiences for learning. That's the fundamental thing that's changed. Um, Some people learn differently than others, most people do, and the technology is able to pick up, whether it's our literacy products or language, and I think other companies are doing this, very specific ways and pathways that are curated to basically map how you want to learn. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what's changed fundamentally versus being in a class. I was just in South Korea uh, Korean, Hong Kong two mm-hmm. weeks ago. I was amazed to still see offline classes. They call mm-hmm. them cram schools, right. where you see kids in a class literally just kind of cramming for tests. For tests. Not understanding what they're actually learning, understanding right. the vocabulary, but not truly right. comp- comprehending Does what Does that doing.
1: mean, like, you know, language lessons have always, again, been analog. Does that mean it's— over for that re- in that regard that people shouldn't this is a kind of thing you can do utterly one of the things I always say is everything can be digitized will be digitized and language seems perfect for that because mm-hmm. you'll have a personalized it reacts to your voice there's voice recognition there's an ability with AI to learn even more about your experience while you're doing it and to correct you is that over for the analog business?
2: Yeah I do I do think that's going to happen I mean it's, it's if you think about the lo- the biggest sectors that haven't really been digitized yet, mm-hmm. healthcare is making a pretty good progress. And since the 70s, no one would actually invest in healthcare. Now, it's actually right. a very investable category. Education. Education is like a $6 trillion category, mm-hmm. very small digital penetration. So I think that's one of the last great sectors that's going to be digitized. I think the language aspect of that most certainly is going to be innovated through digital means. Absolutely, and that's happening. It's happening slower than I would have guessed, being relatively new to the space. Mm-hmm.
1: And when you think about education in general, you can see how courses could, they're just, you're just somewhere else. You're just not, it's analog, but not. This is a very different thing. So Do you apply, so when you're applying AI, what are the uses of that when you're doing language learning?
2: For us, it's about speech production mm-hmm. and sounding like a native speaker. And again, the use case change changed by where you're learning For us, what we do is digitize the waveform of when you're speaking into a speech model that gives you um, basically a histogram of how you're speaking against kind of other native speakers. And we'll give you kind of very basic um, audio cues on how you're doing against that. I've I've argued that I'd actually like more data, that's Mm -hmm. just me, but we give those speakers visual cues as to how they're sounding against the target language they're learning that speech model just gets better and better over time as we get more people in the product. Right. The component of that's super important. Outside the United States, especially in Asia, where I was spending a lot of time speaking with confidence, speaking English in particular, is a major hangup. Uh, one of the gentlemen that is building a product for me, he spends an hour and a half working on small talk before he goes to a party, and just because of the speech component of this. And I think the the machine learning aspect of that is going to be even better over time. We I don't think you're going to have an AI only product. Mm-hmm. I think you're going to have AI mixed with some HI, some human intelligence. Right. But yeah, I think, you know, if we can actually build products all of us. I don't care who which product you use. Right. Um that really develops and goes after the underserved, it's only going to be better for the planet.
1: Mm-hmm. Cuz and then you use them Use people's voices, what they're saying, as they learn a language. Correct.
2: That's right, and we map that against our speech modules. We also build in tutoring in some of our products as well. We've been with
1: real people. With
2: real people, we've been right. doing tutoring. I think we we're the first ones since two thousand nine introducing tutoring in the software.
1: Right versus anything else. Is there are there statistics on how people learn these things and retain them versus a an analog teacher?
2: Yeah, there's a bunch of studies out there. Mm-hmm. The net of the studies is they learn faster. Mm-hmm. If it's more personalized and it's more pervasive and more addictive, you're going to learn faster. Absolutely.
1: So right now, the cost of this right now is is on a recurring revenue basis. That's right. That people use it. What do, you, do people stop using it? Is it like a dating app? I'm trying to like—
2: Trying to get a sense of yeah, it, yeah. like
1: what's the business line?
2: Yeah, it depends on where you're coming from. If you're in Asia, it's—for um, example, we're testing a product in South Korea right now, which is fascinating mm-hmm. to look at the data— we're introducing tutoring and content, voracious appetite for consumption of that product. Because? Because they need to understand how to, you know, they want a quarter office, they want to get into the next school. They have to speak English. They have to speak English Mm -hmm. and and pass a bunch of tests, like the TOEFL tests. Mm -hmm. A lot of employers actually require some level of English proficiency. We have a corporate business where we sell software to Accenture and Mm -hmm. Vodafone and others. It's absolutely important to get get a better job to um, speak better English. But in general, I think most U.S. learners are a little bit lazier than most. Mm-hmm. Uh, not that, well, we could say that about other things, mm-hmm. but they're a little bit lazier in terms of their, their conviction around the product. In general, you'd have to spend about 25, 26 hours in our product to get to the next level of proficiency. Mm-hmm. And that's more than what most people would want to commit to. But if you commit the time and the usage, you can get there.
1: All right, when we get back, we're talking to Matt Hewlett, the president of Rosetta Stone. When we get back, we're going to talk about where technology is going, including neural links. Why even bother studying that when we get back
0: after this? Support for this podcast comes from Constant Contact. If you're a business owner, you already know that it's really, really hard to cut through the noise of everyday life. If you want to connect with your customers, you need to break through the noise. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com.
1: We're here with Matt Hewlett, the president of Rosetta Stone. Uh, Rosetta Stone is obviously a well-known language learning uh, company, but you half your half your business is, is literacy. Or more. About
2: a third is a third literacy. Literacy, about and half is... US twelve. So,
1: let me ask you, what is the most popular language right now?
2: English. English, absolutely. English. Yeah.
1: Why doesn't anyone just speak English? No, I'm teasing. I'm
2: teasing. <laughs> don't I sound like
1: Donald Trump? Um, what other languages are popular now? Spanish. I don't Spanish.
2: Yeah. The uh, population, the EL learners, in terms of trends, English as a second language is one of the fastest growing cohorts. Right. right. So it's about ten percent of the population now. Should be about twenty five percent by. In the next three years.
1: Has English become the world language? I know everyone will go crazy at me saying this, but it seems like that's the trend.
2: Yeah. You know, if you break down the population, just math, no emotion. Right. billion and a half people in China, Billion billion and a half people in, in India, mm-hmm. 365 million or so million people in the United States. But the predominant language that's being taught around the world is English. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How so did that I have happen? to say yes. What is that? What
1: because. Just because.
2: Well, world, you know, hegemonic forces. Mm-hmm. Yes. As, oh, that. As, yes. As, yes. Uh, uh, and we can get into that. But um, there's clear historical reasons why that's happened. But as we've dealt with like large corporate entities, what are you going to standardize your language on? Right. English has become the standard for a variety of different historical reasons. Maybe Mandarin. Mandarin is being taught more. Um, that is becoming more and more popular, but I don't see that happening Is that happening popular on your
1: service, Mandarin, learning people? Learning, it's, it's
2: popular, not as popular as English and Spanish.
1: It was for kids for a while. Do yeah. Remember? My kid took it for 14 seconds. Yeah. Not under my pressure. It was a very
2: own. difficult yeah. language. Yeah. He was
1: terrible at it. Yeah. I, I started <laughs>
2: Vietnamese. Can I, I used make to spend a lot of time in Vietnam. Oh, no, it's very difficult. Yeah. yeah, I, yeah I, I failed at Viet, Vietnamese. Vietnamese? Well. It's very difficult. What
1: isn't Would you get, you dump languages? Like, me? You, yeah, not, yeah. Not you. It is the company. Like, okay, we're not teaching this one anymore. Mm, not How really. How many languages do you have? 26. 26.
2: Yeah. And then we teach. What's our,
1: 26? What's what's number 26?
2: Gosh, Gaelic? I don't know. Gaelic? I mean, it's, it's like you on have the, Gaelic? Somewhere around the—yeah, I mean, we've got so many languages. We've been around forever. We also I teach get advanced. I that, but We also learning? teach advanced. <laughs> there are—you'd be surprised. Yeah. Um, we also have done a lot of work with um, Native American tribes to preserve mm-hmm. their language. Mm-hmm. Pechanga, for example, is a language that we're preserving. Um, we work with a lot of Native American tribes to preserve their language. Well, that seems worthy. Yeah, I, you know it's it's crazy when we bring in an elder to record their speech patterns into our sound sound recording system, and literally you're 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 talking to and interacting with one of the last speakers of a language,
1: right? A, a live
2: speaker, a live speaker that right. language.
1: Because some people speak Sumerian, but like three people essentially,
2: right? Right, or High Valerian, but yeah, um, yeah. for fun. But you know, it, it it's poignant, you know, and it's not the. Obviously, there's not there's not a huge population for it, but it is more profound to our speech recognition technology folks when they are preserving a language.
1: Right. So, trending languages are. I, I would imagine Chinese and English, mm-hmm. Spanish. Mm-hmm. What is French downward trending? German? No,
2: it's you know, they're kind of like holding their. Everyone own. Everyone used to take French they, here. They're holding their own. Mm-hmm. I think world languages being taught in United States schools mm-hmm. is Spanish. Is Spanish, but I Chinese. think the fund the funding for these world languages is definitely drying up. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know, like in Washington State where I live, I live in Seattle. Uh, there is a big focus on bilingual education. Mm-hmm. Not every state has the same philosophy. No.
1: no. So when you're thinking about like, because you can get easily dragged into political things, How, when you make these decisions on what you're teaching, you don't dump languages,
2: right? You don't. No. like no. no. I've thought back to my career in tech. And I've worked for some very sharp-elbowed people Mm -hmm. um, that I I admire, but not the easiest people to work for. And I definitely wanted to have a A no-a-hole policy. Mm -hmm. And the core mission of the business is to really enable anyone to read, write, and speak with confidence. And it would be like ripping our dead hands off. Mm-hmm. you know, a speech pr- uh, module to actually dump a language. We, w- we wouldn't do it. Wouldn't do it.
1: So you're doing some preservation of languages yep. in terms of collecting people talking about them. When you think about where language is going, everyone thought we'd be talking in ones and os by now and mm-hmm. not and not speaking languages. But to that point, we, the, with the Google Translate, Microsoft was working on translation. I know Sachin Adela debuted one mm-hmm. of ours. They're still glitchy, but it seems like the trend line is: why even have learn languages when you could speak it? It would be translated. I mean, that was the dream, yeah. right? That we don't need to we speak whatever, and we have we have a universal translator. I remember Sergey Brin talking about that extensively, mm-hmm. just on his own, uh,
2: mm-hmm. the idea
1: that you don't you say one thing and then. It comes out a different thing.
2: Yeah, it, you know, taking you know, like the, um, like in Marvel Comics, yeah. you know, they have the Universal Decoder. Yes, and, of course. And, yeah, you know, Captain Marvel, she had one in, built into her wrist. Part of it is for me, kind of comes down to basic: um, what kind of populace do we want to have? Mm-hmm. Do we want to have a population where we outsource our learning? our encoding and decoding to AI and computer software and Why, science. Why,
1: yes, we do, but go ahead.
2: I think some aspects will be automated. I think some won't. It, not to get too metaphysical about it, I do worry that if you outsource too much of your cerebral cortex, mm-hmm. we're, we're, there's not going to be much left of us. Right. Uh, if we're just the limbic system, where are pleasure, pleasure zones and motivation zones, I do worry a little and bit about that. And universal
1: basic income. It's all the Andrew Yang and, yep. dream. No I, no, I listened to that you, episode. No, but um, thinking of it, why even bother to learn certain things if you can? I mean, I don't mean to get all matrixy sure. on you. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, Elon Musk has talked about the neural link. If you can actually—you don't even need a neural language. he wants to embed a chip in your brain. And it's—you're right. like on the matrix. You suddenly can— yeah do karate or you can right. suddenly know 10 languages and things like that. So that's one way of going is mm-hmm. that we we chip our brains or we make our brains smarter in yeah. some fashion using digital means. Mm-hmm. The other is just have a translate like mm-hmm. you you would speak and then it would come out. Like it seems like that to is more inevitable than anything else.
2: Yeah, I think I think there's if you think about all the things that are going to be automated to mm-hmm. your point It'd be ludicrous for me to say that's not going to be automated over time. I think the most of the translation software is pretty darn good when it started out like four or five years ago. You know, you you get your face slapped in a restaurant based on the the output. Now it's pretty darn good. Mm -hmm. The subjectiveness of language, though, is still not being captured in the software. Subjectiveness meaning when you know how to—the social, cultural norms of that language isn't necessarily a one-to-one mapping right now. Language is very subjective, right? Uh, sure. Uh, machine learning is and very idioms and yeah, exactly. Like you know, when I'm in the in the Netherlands, and they say a monkey's going up my sleeve, you know, that's a hard one to kind of interpret. And so I think that there will be a role of learning a language. There what does be, that mean?
1: I'm sorry, I'm completely. I have out. no
2: idea what that means. But it's when they say it, I I think it's like, are you sneaking one by me? I oh, I see. You know, I have no idea. Like you're there's a monkey going All right, up my okay. sleeve. Okay, but it, that. that's that's you know a very subjective comment that uh, you know. Will AI figure that out? Mm-hmm. Probably over time. Right. You know, there's been some interesting machine translation things like the GP- GPT-2. Explain uh, that. Um, that's the uh, text uh, extraction that um, OpenAI introduced that made pretty darn good poems. Mm-hmm. Um, and you put the data set. There's a huge data set called the Internet. You extract it and try to make some reasonably good poems. Mm-hmm. Um, AI2, Paul Allen's Institute in Seattle, did a product called Grover, Mm -hmm. that actually did a pretty reasonable job at replicating fake news. Mm -hmm. They actually built it to identify fake news. Those types of things are just going to get better over time. So the long-term answer to your question is, will you need to learn a language? Yes, but in the long, long, long term, probably not. Right. And then you have to decide what aspects of your brain do you want to outsource and what's important to you as a human. So
1: when you're thinking that as a— I mean, obviously, you're not going to be running this company at that moment, but what—or maybe you're, you have a plan to live for 150 years, but what i I'm are intermittent you, fasting you, for the last yeah. two decades. Oh, no, really? No,
2: I'm just, I, sorry. You know. I—, I <laughs>
1: <laughs> I am so tired of talking about intermittent fasting with tech dudes. Literally, I, I sit down to a dinner, and they start yammering at my ear, and I'm like, I have no interest. Pass me that roll over there, which <laughs> I'm sure you want to eat right now. So when you think about running a business, like, look, Rosanna Stone almost got run over by not— by being in CDs, obviously Netflix shifted, like any business. How do you run a business that is based on information that is so digitizable? Mm -hmm. Uh, How do you run it? When, you know, Google's working over here Untranslate, the Microsoft is doing stuff, there's all kinds of efforts. How do you think about the business going forward? Yeah. Five, 10, 15 years.
2: Yeah, you know, it's a little bit like how I hate to say it, Uber's thinking about their business, Mm -hmm. you know, driverless cars, and there's going to be other things that happen. I think for us, we think about AI and HI together, the blended learning aspects of learning. Mm -hmm. 80% of the world's digital language learning, or sorry, overall language learning is still offline Gosh, you know, we have many, many years until that actually becomes something that's digitizable, but I still think there's going to be a human element component to it. There's so many aspects to language learning, reading, everything else that requires a human tutor. I don't believe that we will have complete AI learning for students. For students. And I— definitely see a role for us integrating personalized learning with the human being because I happen to like human beings. So as oh, us as a company, as, as us as a company, that's kind of what we focus on is how do you marry the learner, the teacher, and the data in the middle. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether it's speech recognition, whether it's machine learning, supervised or unsupervised, how do you make that work together really, really well.
1: All right, I finish up talking about what, you know, I, I, I have your app I'm going to start using. I'm, I've been wanting to learn Spanish for years. And I was a terrible Spanish student. Mm-hmm. I was a terrible German student. I was a terrible French student. Mm-hmm. And I have a feeling I'm a, just a terrible language student. Mm-hmm. And lo- there's lots of reasons for that. Different people's brains are wired mm-hmm. differently. Mathematical people, or my brother speaks like 16 languages. Mm-hmm. Whatever that is, eventually, I was hoping there would be a pill someday, and then I would just take it. That was my hope, and I'm down with e- Elon Musk's idea of neural net. What are some of the mistakes, given current technologies, what are some of the mistakes people make, or what's important to do when you're using any of these language apps? What's the critical part? Frequently. Besides moving to France or Frequently.
2: Something? Frequently. It's as simple as that. You have to do it for a little, little bit at a time about every day.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So five, six days a week. Right. Uh, to get to the next level of, there's like six levels of what's called CEFR, the Common European Framework for Learning Languages. It starts at A, A1, A2. B1, B2, C1, C2. If you want to be an advanced level speaker, you know, it's a quite a big commitment. We have software that we sell to corporations. It's advanced learner software that gets you there. But it's just frequency and little bits at a time.
1: And when you think about sort of when you're leaning into the future, when you are think about where language is going, do you imagine a time where you'll have a, a VR kind of element to it, like you were in Mm -hmm. France, you were in Germany, because immersion is actually, that's the one time I learned, like when I was in Germany, I lived there, and I did speak okay, like not great, but okay.
2: Yeah, and I get confronted, well, long-winded answer, which I'm known for, is... Yeah, I think immersive experiences. I think AR is mm-hmm. a very interesting one. Mm-hmm. VR, we'll, we'll see about augmented headsets. Augmented reality. Augmented reality. My nine-year-old saved up his money and bought a Oculus Quest. Uh-huh. And I was b- totally blown away, by the way. Right. I do think that those are going to be interesting experiences to unlock. We're starting to do a little bit of that with that Seek and Speak feature I mentioned, kind mm-hmm. of Pokemon Go for language learning. Right. But how cool would it be that you'd have, like, AR glasses on, you're interacting with the world, mm-hmm. you're getting feedback about how you're speaking, interacting, maybe have, like, a... Find home feature where, like, a live tutor can actually provide, you know, a walk-around tour of where you're at. That'd be right. really cool.
1: Right, but not a VR immersive, like I'm in Potentially. France. Potentially. Yeah. I Are think you it's guys a heads- working on that?
2: Not on VR. Right. It's been a headset issue for us. There mm-hmm. just hasn't been enough of them yet. It's been yeah. specialty. But yeah. I, I'd say, like, the, the technology is getting pretty good right now. we start playing around with some things. But AR is kind of where we focus.
1: AR, which is be, like, you're in France, you're looking at the... Thing. It was just yeah. speaking to you, saying yeah. you should say this here.
2: Yeah, and, and very, very, you know, even in France, you talk about the subjectivity of uh, France, uh, of French. It was, it, it was interesting that, as an example, we had a blog post about the whole new set of more hip mm-hmm. uh, sayings in, in France. So ah. language is evolving all the time, obviously. But wouldn't that be cool if that was reflected in you know, a, uh, you know, a geolocation yeah. AR device?
1: Yeah, they just don't like it when you speak French to them. I they just uh, they steal that. they're not so bad. I literally, I thought that. I thought, oh, I'm being the cliche of French people. But literally, they're like, stop speaking French immediately. I was like, fine, I'll just
2: speak in English. Public, public transit is, is another <laughs> issue. You know, yeah. me trying to get around. But
1: well, what to me, AR would be really interesting. Is like when I was in Japan, all the the signs are in. Very few people Kongi. speak English yeah. in, in Japan. Really, even yeah. in Tokyo, it's really interesting. It was much. Many fewer people speak English than you think in certain yeah, countries. that's true. And if if I could have looked up at a sign and it would translate, it it would have been enormously helpful. It would that's be right. Really interesting. And then you start to you start to recognize exit and things like that mm-hmm. as you uh, you know it, it's just an interesting time. All right, what languages do you speak? That's my final
2: question. I, I'm I am kind of a fluent. Not fluent. I'm I'm learning Spanish. Okay. And I'm actually getting back into using my, my tutor. Okay. Through our software. Uh-huh. But uh Olga, who's my teacher of uh, my Spanish Olga? teacher. Yeah. And she's listening. I'm committed to coming back to you, Olga. But um uh Spanish is is the one that I'm I'm learning right now.
1: All right. And yeah. how are you doing?
2: Uh I've been better. I've been know. better. Um first six months I was pretty darn good. Were you? Yeah. And then and, and then, you know, life happens. Yeah, And so exactly. this is kind of me being an American.
1: Right, exactly. But, yeah. All right. Thank you, Matt, so much. It's so interesting. Residence is a fascinating. The whole idea of where language is going to me is going to be really interesting. But I do think eventually it will all be AR-oriented. Like, it'll be translated for you, and, or you will have a chip, one
2: or the other. Just I hope no one hacks into our heads. And then
1: finally I can achieve my long-held dream of speaking ancient Aramaic.
2: Gosh, I wish I just learned Kung Fu.
1: <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Matt, thank you so much for coming on the show. You can follow me on Twitter at Kara Swisher. My executive producer, Eric Anderson, is at Erica America. My producer, Eric Johnson, is at Hey Hey ESJ. Matt, where can people find you and Rosetta Stone online?
2: Yeah, my what? Twitter handle, Matt what? underscore Hewlett.
1: Okay, what about Rosetta Stone at Rosetta RosettaStone.com. Okay, great. If you like this episode, we really appreciate it if you shared it with a friend. And make sure to check out our newest podcast, Reset, Just search for it in your podcasting app of choice. Thanks also to our editor, Joel Rave. Thank you for listening to this episode of Recode Decode. I'll be back here on Wednesday. Tune in then.